the message. We're going to finish out. This is the final message uh, in our series, Less is More, uh, where we've just been discovering all the arenas where God wants to come and invade and increase so that we can decrease and find life. And uh, so we're going to be jumping into our our final message uh, this morning. You guys pray with me. Uh, God, you're so good to us. You're so faithful. And you have so many things that you're eager to impart. Things that you're eager to say to us. Ways that you want to craft us into your image. Ways that you want to move us out of places where we feel stuck and into places of life and wholeness. So I thank you that you're here to accomplish those things. It's not by words that it's done, it's by the demonstration of your power in our lives. So as your word goes forward, I ask God that you'd show up here. That you'd be with us, near to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, so as we said, God is so faithful and uh, he's gracious to just begin the, the work of just removing all the stuff that tears us up, right? That every place where we find God in scripture uh, saying, hey, this is broken or hey, this is dangerous or hey, be careful with this. All, it's always a father looking at us saying, listen, I'm here to get rid of the stuff that's going to destroy you and I'm here to make an exchange and give to you life. It's what, he, it's what he does. And so we're thankful for that. Uh, but the problem is, is that uh, that editing process, that process of God wanting to remove stuff has been going on from the beginning. Uh, it, it's, it's from the get-go. Uh, and we felt it even uh, as we were kids. How many of you had to teach your kids uh, the word mine? Anybody had to teach their kids, like, that's mine, my, anybody had to teach? Anybody have to teach their kids mine? Nobody has ever had to teach any kid ever the word mine. You know why? They just pick it up. They just figure out that there's something out there and they want it. And usually, that word comes out when somebody else has something that they want. That's f- from the get-go. I feel like at this point, I have an 11, 9, uh, 7, and 5-year-old. Okay, I've got four kiddos. I feel like 70% of what I do is managing uh, the jealousy that they have for what each other has or doesn't have. Meaning this, ever served your kids a bowl of ice cream and then you serve another kid a bowl of ice cream and it's possible there's an ounce difference between the two bowls of ice cream and World War III breaks out over that? Have y'all ever seen that before? You ever seen that in your home? Ever experienced that? Where you look at it, I saw some wives pointing at the husbands. That was awkward. But uh, that's, a, that's another sermon for another day. All right, right now we're just going to keep it to kids. Okay? There's this intuitive thing in us from the get-go. When we look across and we see something that somebody has, it, and I don't have that thing, I instantaneously want that. Or I feel like I, it's not mine's not good enough or whatever I have whatever I have is uh, short or it's uh, less than and there's this thing that we have and it's from the get-go with that you guys know this because I know some of you are so crazy judicious at Christmas time with the gift giving because some of you 
down to the penny, make sure that you don't spend more on one kid than you do on the other kid, don't you? You make the list and then you go, well, we can't, and then you do this, and you do this constant conversation, right, with your spouse. Well, we can't buy that because then this kid will have $17 more than this other kid will have. And you have that conversation because you think inside they're internally calculating. Now, listen, my doll was not as expensive as that doll. I don't think mom and dad love me as much as that person. You know, this is what happens. This is the constant conversation that's going on all the time. We're always trying to face this thing uh, because it's ingrained in all of us. To see something across and go, I don't have that, I wish I had that. Or to see something across the room and go, uh, that doesn't, that seems like that's way better than my situation. That's what we have all the time. We're always dealing with envy and jealousy. It's something we've been uh, dealing with from the get-go. And so I think God wants to speak into, this is one of those places that becomes self-destructive as we're going to discover, and God wants to begin to do something inside of us with his truth. If you will, grab your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter eight, uh, 18, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a, there should be one maybe close to you, but I want you to have a Bible so you can investigate it for yourself. 1 Samuel 18. Now, we're going to start, let me just set this up for you before we get into the text. What we have here is uh, a man named uh, David and a man named Saul. Saul is the king, he's the first king of the kingdom of Israel. He's the first ever king. And uh, David is a shepherd boy. Uh, but for some reason, God's highlighted this shepherd boy uh, to be the one who's going to become uh, the one who saves Israel uh, from the brokenness that is in the land. Uh, and uh, of course, it's a, it's a powerful picture of who God is and what he does. He always uses that which doesn't seem like it should be used or worthy to be used. So he finds a shepherd boy who's got a clean heart before him. And David comes out and he slays a giant named Goliath. You grow up in the church, you know about the story of David and Goliath. So David has just destroyed the entire Philistine army with one stone, okay, and so now the nation is partying. This is the first time that they've seen the enemy, the enemy has crumbled, and, this, and now the nation of Israel is able to move forward. So when they see that David has won this battle, everybody's looking at it. And when the, and so look at verse 6, 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine... The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing. With joyful songs, with tambourines. Does that say lutes? I don't know if that's lutes or flutes. I don't know what that is. Lutes, is that a thing? Yeah, everybody's like, clearly you should know this. I don't, I don't know about that. Lutes, okay. Don't know. Do they still play that in modern day bands? No? Okay. All right, let's move on. Verse 7, so they're singing and dancing, all right, which if you're a guy, you know that when the girls sing and dance, your praise is, that's kind of a thing. They dance and they sing, Saul has, Saul has slain his, all the guys get that, and the girls are like, that's awkward. All right, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Bad song. Good song, great song, but it's going to stir up problems. Now, look at verse 8. Saul was very angry. 
This refrain galled him. But they have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So that moment, the ladies come out and they sing and they say, hey, Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. And Saul goes, what? How can they sing? He becomes jealous and envious of this song. It seems a little minor, but the song messes with him. And, and, and this phrase is, ought to be chilling. From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Literally, it says that from the time that, that song was sung, when Saul looked at him through jealousy. Like literally, jealousy came on Saul so that when he looked at David, it was always through the lens of jealousy. That literally his entire relationship became broken and tainted with him because that was the lens by which he, the lens by with, by which he is viewing him. How he's seeing him is through this. He's literally put jealousy on and now he's seeing him that way. That's kind of what that means. So the question here is this. What's so bad about jealousy? What's so bad about jealousy, right? Jealousy is the thing that we have internally. It's something that we all wrestle with. So I want to talk about what it is. Because the truth is, is I started to just go through uh, scripture just where Anytime it talks about jealousy or envy and what it does, and the list became so unbelievably massive, I had to boil it down to actually two. And I want, there's two scriptures I want us to look at. And so you and I, were going to investigate for a moment why jealousy is bad, what it does, and what God wants to do with it. If you got a worship guide when you came in on the back as a set of notes, you're, feel free to follow along. If you like to fill in blanks, you can do that. Uh, that's easy for you to do. Turn to James chapter 3 if you want to. I'm going to read this to you. All through the scripture, you have uh, the Bible saying, avoid envy or avoid jealousy. And I want to give you just two core principles that we find from scripture that's going to help us uh, kind of understand what this thing does inside of us. James chapter 3. But if you have bitter jealousy, this is verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So James is painting this picture for us. Now, here's the portrait he's painting. Here is wisdom that comes from above, and here is jealousy. Now, in my mind, when I think about wisdom, I think about like wisdom and then not wisdom. That's how I see those things operate. Here's wisdom, here's not wisdom. When James paints the picture, he says, here's wisdom and here's jealousy. So what he's trying to communicate is the opposite of wisdom is the spirit of jealousy. That this thing is really broken. That 
what jealousy does is it begins to destroy our ability to have perspective. In fact, you'd throw that up. Jealousy destroys our ability to have perspective, to see things rightly. That's what it does. It destroys what we're looking at. Whatever we look at, we're not seeing things as though they really are. What envy does or what jealousy does is it begins to distort the way we view life. It's the opposite of wisdom. It actually kills wisdom, and what it does is it leads to self-deception. And this happens all the time when we find something rising up in us that thinks self first. That's what envy and jealousy really is, is where we go self first. And it's something that either I want or I don't want. It's something that I want to do because I feel like doing it or something I don't want to do because I don't feel like doing it. But there's this self thing going on involved. And and it messes up your perspective. I say this all the time in our home. Um, For you guys that uh, have either teenagers or they're about to become teenagers, you recognize that at some point in time, um, something begins to shift And all of a sudden, they were sweet kids, and now they just are uh, humans that emanate odors all over the place all the time. This is what happens. And you can't get away from it. All right? I'm just going to be honest with you. The the shoes in our house, they got to go outside. All right? So here's what happens now on a regular basis. Um, And as for my kids that are now growing up into this age, hey, it's time for you to take a shower. And immediately, I get the eye roll. Like, I, I hate, and I don't, I'm like, it's because shower's like, is shower's the best thing in the world, right? We have, can we all agree that shower's the greatest thing ever? Everybody's like, yes, all right? But if you're 11, shower is boring, stupid. They don't want to do it. And so, and so, there, so what I get is a fight back on wanting to take a shower. And I'm going, listen, do you not understand the amazingness of a hot shower? You, your perspective is messed up. Let me tell you, by the grace of God, I've, I've had the chance to go all over the earth on mission trips, places where they don't have running hot water. Do you know what those places smell like? I don't have to describe it to you. So when I'm looking at my son, I hope he never listens to this, but you know, it's... I hope he does, actually. I hope he gets this in him. Your perspective is skewed. Whenever self rises up and you go, I don't want to do that. I don't feel like doing that. I think showers are dumb. They're the worst. They're so boring. Your perspective is messed up. This is what self does inside of us. It messes perspective. You can't see rightly the situation or the circumstance. This issue of envy and jealousy is not like this small thing that we need to get rid of in our lives. What it does is it taints everything around us. We can't rightly see relationships. We can't rightly see circumstances going on in our lives. We can't rightly view our spouses or our children because when we have this thing called self-rise up where we want to do what we want to do, we don't want to do what we don't want to do, what it does is it automatically taints everything around us. It's the wrong lens by which we view life. It destroys perspective. That's what it does all the time, and it keeps us from being able to step out into what God has for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. You've heard this. Uh, if you've been to any kind of wedding or anything, you've heard this text before. Love 
does not envy. Now, I love what the scripture says here because it does, what it does not say is that loving people don't envy. What it says is love does not envy, meaning it's impossible to love and be jealous. You can't do both. Where love exists, jealousy cannot exist. It's completely and utterly incompatible. So where we find envy rising up inside of us, it is a destroyer of love. Jealousy destroys the ability to love. So jealousy destroys our perspective and then it destroys our ability to actually love because they're completely incompatible. It cannot love by nature, cannot envy. It does not envy. And we see that all the time. So envy now becomes a cancer to wisdom and it becomes the death sentence to love. So love is gone and wisdom is gone. And when love is gone and wisdom is gone, guess what? You're not that much fun to be around. Just to be honest. And this one thing that we've all been dealing with from the get-go can become so rampant, it begins to taint everything else around us. And that's what happens. We look and we go, me, but what about him? It's just like Saul. Me, but he. Me, but her. My thing isn't good, but what about that? That's what I want. And we find that all the time. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep, which means this. Truly loving people empathize with whatever someone else is going through. Basically, Romans 12 saying, if you're a loving person, then you get, to re- you, you get excited when other people are excited about life, and, and you mourn with people who are going through a broken time. And here's what happens. With envy, when you wrestle with jealousy, here's what happens. It's the exact opposite. When somebody is happy, you're angry. You're upset because you didn't get the thing or you don't have the thing. Or when someone's mourning, you go, yeah, they kind of deserve it. You ever been in that place? Felt that before? See, when, when we destroy perspective and we destroy love, what we end up with is we end up unbelievably self-absorbed. And all it does is kill. All that does is destroy. Envy is that thing where we go, look at that person's success. I wish that was mine. I, I, I wish that, that that was my experience. Excuse. Why do they get that? Why I deserve that. You ever been in that place? If you're not careful, what you can do is you find yourself, you're looking across the way and you go, that person has something that you don't have. And you go, I, I just wish that was my, I wish that was my experience in my home. Or, or you, find some, you find something that somebody has, they have it just like you have it, and you go, 
They don't deserve that. They hadn't worked like I've worked for that. Been in that place? We have these experiences where, and by the way, these are often conversations that we have. They all happen up here. Because we know culturally, you don't say these things out loud, right? Except for like with your best friend, who you know is not going to judge you, although they probably should say something to you. But you know, the truth is, is these are the conversations that go on internally. And it, what it does is it just has this effect of destroying us. We, we feel the weight of it. And so envy has this way of making us think that everybody other, everybody's situation is somehow about me. That whatever else is going on out there is about me. And that's what we feel. We feel the weight of that. If you single in this place, you want to be married, and you go, you see somebody, one of your friends gets married, and you go, I, I want to be married. These are all those kinds of situations. You want that promotion in your job, and somebody else gets the promotion, and you go, they didn't deserve that for nothing. I should have gotten that promotion. Those are those real-life examples. So if love rejoices when others rejoice and mourns with those who mourn, then envy rejoices when those are mourning and it mourns when people are rejoicing. That's the broken part. Envy at at its core is just self-pity. And so what it does, when it grows unchecked, it grows up and it begins to destroy. And that's what it does with us. That's what it does. And this has kind of been going on from the get-go. In fact, I want you to just, if you'll think with me for just a minute, I don't know if you've thought about this, but from the get-go, this thing called envy and jealousy is what created the enemy. Have you ever thought about that? How did Satan become Satan? Straight envy. How do you think we got to be where we're at today? It was because of envy, jealousy. Why did Satan become a demon? He looked at God and he said, that's mine. I want that. So did a third of the angels. Why did Jesus Christ have to come? Right? At the very base of it, he came to undo what was broken from the get-go. Where the enemy came in and said, I want to be you. And he came to destroy what God created for himself. Sent to that place. You can't underestimate the power of jealousy because it just destroys. It's what it does. You know, every work of the enemy against you, against me, is fueled by envy. You throw that up there. Every work of the enemy is actually fueled by envy. Maybe a better way to put it is this. Uh, Satan and his horde of of demons, they are well aware of what the end. They may have lied to themselves, but they're well aware of the end game. The enemy's work against you is simply out of pure envy. Children of God made sons and daughters. People of God 
called sons and daughters, to have eternal life. Every act of the enemy is against us because of envy and jealousy. It's what it comes down to. And so if envy has done its wreck in all the universe, then the question is how much can we really let it linger in us? So the, the question is, what do we do about it? That, that, what, what do we, how do we begin to fix or take this thing that's often inside of us that we don't like to be honest about and begin to deal with it, right? How do we begin to take aim at jealousy? Let me just, maybe, I wanna just maybe put it this way because um, this is where we really f- find it. it um, social media can be great and kind of can be the worst. You ever found yourself looking online, social media, and looking at other people's lives and going, man, I wish my life was like that. You ever find yourself in that place? That's what, I think that's what God wants to come and, and begin to work on, begin to fix. That's a bee, it's gonna, it's gonna sing, sting me. Okay, so that's the enemy, the devil. Okay. It's awesome. That's jealousy here to destroy your attention on the truth. Kill that bug. In Jesus' name be dead. All right. All right, I'm gonna jump into this real quick and then we're gonna be done. All right, here's the cure. I want you to hear this. The cure for jealousy is where we come back to God's heart towards us in the gospel. All right, I've never known anyone in all my life, never known anyone in all my life that could come in and say, here, I'm just gonna get rid of my jealousy. I'm just gonna get rid of it. In fact, I don't think it works that way. You've found yourself envious. In fact, what we tend to do is just sit in it and waller in it for a while, and we go, I probably shouldn't be like that. I need to not be like that, but you can't just magically go poof, make yourself like that. The answer is not by just getting rid of it. The answer is by coming back to this, the heart issue. All right, you can't just look at yourself and say, hey, don't be envious. And so what we want to do is go back to the heart, the spirit of the gospel, and ask for God to eat away at this thing that's been destroying us. There's a, um, uh, there's a sermon series by Jonathan Edwards called, uh, well, it's called Charity and Its Fruits, but he's going through uh, all of um, the, the fruit of the Spirit of God. And he, go, he comes in and he goes, he says, isn't it incredible that God would have uh, made us needing some other person beside himself? Here's what he does. He looks at and he goes, God made all of creation. He makes Adam, and he goes, there's one thing that's not working right. Adam's lonely. He needs someone else to be with him. And what he does is he postulates, he goes, isn't it amazing that God looked and thought that Adam needed someone to be with him? That Adam needed this partner to come alongside him? He goes, God is not a jealous God in this sense. God isn't a possessive God. God made us needing other persons. I love this picture that he gives when we come back to the gospel. He's like, listen, 
God isn't sitting out there going, uh, you don't get, I want all this for me. He's not like that. He goes, listen, I see. I see. I made Adam, but he needs Eve. God isn't out there concerned or worried. He's jealous for his glory, all right? And the only one worthy of being jealous of his own glory, but in and of himself, he's not a jealous God. It's not who he is. It's not how he's wired. One of the most amazing things in all the world, and I, I would encourage you in this, and I've said it before. If you have one chapter to read over and over and over and over again, it'd be John chapter 17. You know what Jesus says in John chapter 17? Lord, if I'm gonna go through all this, then here's what I want. I want all my people to be with me. <laughs> That's the, let me tell you who Jesus is. Look at every one of us and says, all right, if I'm going to the cross, then God, would you let them see my glory? Could, it literally says, would you let them be with me where I am? Everything that I deserve. Listen, this is Jesus. Everything I deserve rightly, I want them to have. You ever thought about that? Everything that Jesus deserves, he's looking at all the people who are just a mess, and he's saying, I want you to have it. I want you to have it. I want you to have it. Jesus himself is the exact opposite of the jealous heart. He's the one that looks and says, man, I'm ready to give it away. I'm ready to rejoice with you and to mourn with you. It's who he is. It's what we saw in him. Jesus Christ loves to see people getting things they don't deserve. Jesus loves to see people getting things they don't deserve. The whole picture of the gospel is you and I getting stuff we never deserved. This is literally what God's in the business of, so that when you and I are finding ourselves looking on Facebook and we're going, I wish I had that home, or I wish I had that spouse, or I wish my kids acted that like that, or I wish that I had that kind of income, or whatever it is that we tend to look across and go, well, everyone else has it better. I wish my life could look that way. I wish that I could be like that, because that's how it works, right? Nobody's really evil intent with this thing. We just tend to look at all the stuff around us and go, I don't have enough, or I'm not enough, or I wish I had more. And there's this thing that rises up inside of us, and it's out to kill wisdom. It's out to destroy love and what God is saying is listen I'll tell you what I love to do I love it when people get what they don't deserve that's what I love it's what I do I'm in the business of doing I'm in the business of giving away stuff to people who never earned it and didn't deserve it so if you've ever found yourself in that place man I'm just telling you Jesus is here to heal that place by saying guess what we're going to be people who love it when people get what they don't deserve because that's who I am and that's what I did for you that's what I did for you. I'm here to give to you even though you don't deserve. When we just take a step back, if we got all just push the pause button on the social media accounts and all this stuff and looking around, and by the way, we live in like the seventh wealthiest county in the nation, and it's just easy to look around and feel like that everybody's got all the stuff that we don't have and it's easy to look at everything around us and wish that we could have more of. It's easy to look at people's leadership or influence or ministry or families and go, I wish that I had that and push the pause button for a minute and just remember this. 
when we come before Jesus, all he wants to do is give us everything we never deserved. It's just what he does. And when we get in front of the Son of God and start to receive the stuff that we don't deserve, like kindness and mercy and goodness and power and truth and life and breath, when we come before him and get those things, all of a sudden, when we look out on Facebook or we look out in the world around us, it changes how we see life. And that's what God's here to do, to, to make the exchange. To take our eyes off of ourselves, the stuff that destroys, and give us a new perspective. If we got what we deserved, there'd be hell to pay. But we don't. We get to sit in here and sing at the top of our lungs even though we're a mess. And we get life and we get truth and power. And it's what God wants to give to us so that we can give it away. So here's what I want to do. Uh, I just want, I want you to put your stuff down. I think we got through the notes. Put your stuff down. We're just going to take two minutes. And if, you, if it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes. But I, I, just want, I want you to be able to talk to God for a moment. Because inevitably, at some point in time when I said something or someone that you've envied or maybe had some jealousy, there's something that popped up in your head. And maybe you've looked at a marriage and thought, I wish mine was like that. Or maybe you've looked at kids and wish, I wish my kids were like that. Or maybe you've looked at a job situation. Or maybe you've looked at an income. Or maybe you've looked at a, a number of other things. And you just, you found yourself wishing. Or wanting. Or maybe judging others because of what they have that you don't or because of what they have and here's this opportunity you be real with the Lord and say God this thing's been sitting in me and I don't want it here anymore and God wants to make an exchange with you He's willing to make that exchange to say, listen, if you'll give me that envy, that jealousy, that thing that you've wished, you give that to me. Listen, I'll give you life. I'll give you peace. I'll give you rest in your heart because I'm a father who takes care of my children. Here's the promise from God. You're never going to go without. He's going to take care of every need. You may not like how he does it. You may not like the timing of it. You may not like the way. But God is a father who promises to meet us so that we don't have to walk with jealousy. We can walk with a heart of love. So here's what you can do. There's grace right here in this room just to be able to celebrate, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. 
So I'm just going to allow you in your heart just before the Lord. Lord, I just rejoice with what they have. I bless what you've done in them. God, you gave so graciously to me when I didn't deserve. Or maybe you need to mourn. Maybe you've been in a place where you've seen someone hurting and you don't want to admit it, but you've enjoyed seeing them struggle. It's just time to come to a place and say, God, I'll make the exchange. I mourn with them. Lord, you mourn with me. You've walked with me through every valley I've ever walked through. You've never abandoned me once. God, we all make the exchange right now. We receive life. Give it away and now receive life. Make the exchange. We thank you that you're here in this place to destroy the works of the enemy in every way he would try to kill the life that you have for us. We receive your life fresh and new. We believe, Lord, that you have many things you want to accomplish in and through us in the days to come. Thank you, Lord, for changing our minds and our hearts. We thank you. In fact, we just, we all thank you for giving us what we did not deserve. So lovingly and so graciously, God, would you give us grace to do that for others? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Blessings on you.